Dublin's Talking Sport with Ken Doherty and Reggie Corrigan. Sponsored by insuremycars.ie, low-cost car insurance specialists. See how much you can save at insuremycars.ie. On Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8. Sunshine 106.8 Dublin's Talking Sport Welcome to Dublin's Talking Sports podcast with me, Ken Doherty, and my good friend, Reggie Corrigan. Thanks for tuning in to catch up on the latest GAA, football, rugby, and all the crack. Enjoy the show, and don't forget, rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, I tell you, Ken, I'm only just about recovered after last week. That's that's a fact of life. That was the most yeah. difficult game of rugby I think I've ever watched in my life. Yeah, it was brilliant, <laughs> wasn't it? The atmosphere was electric as well. Absolutely. Was it a, a dry eye in the, the stadium, Irish eyes, and anyway, and uh, I'm sure a lot of the pubs were very, very dry afterwards in Paris. <laughs> I'd say so. I, I spoke to plenty of people who were over there for it, and... Um, yeah, they just said there was they'd never experienced anything like it in terms of atmosphere. Absolutely yeah. out of this world. Uh, all of the singing afterwards. People stayed around until midnight in the stadium, singing and dancing and having the crack. And uh, mm. but the game itself, um, uh, absolute emotional roller coaster. I couldn't enjoy the game. I, I haven't even rewatched it yet because I just. I was actually, uh, I, I mean, Charlie was watching with my ten year old, and he said, "Dad, well, I don't feel right after that. My heart is still racing." <laughs> it was that kind of game. Yeah, it was. It was tough, wasn't it? It was really tough. Very tense uh, and very close towards the end as well. You know, it was a, it was a, a brutal, wasn't it? I mean, some of the tackles, Reg, were were frightening. Yeah, they were frightening. The physicality of it is unbelievable. Yeah. The size of the South Africans, the fact that they could bring on such an amazing bench. Um, you can't praise our lads enough for for what they did mm. to get that result and to find a way to win that match. When, in fairness, things were not going our way. Lineup wasn't working. The usual stuff yeah. that we've come to expand, expect. But as they always say, that's a sign of a really, really great team if you can find a way to win when you're under pressure like that, and they did. But uh, we're not going to get carried away with ourselves here on no. the show because I was brought down to <laughs> earth last night by the yeah. All Blacks and a little bit of humility brought back into the conversation because I have to say they were uh, something special last night, but at the same time Italy were very, very poor. But uh, still, to stick up over 90 points in one game against a Tier 1 nation like Italy, it's quite yeah. a statement, you know, it really is. It and, is and it's letting everybody yeah, know we're not gone. <laughs> yeah, and it'll give them a little bit of confidence as well that they probably need it. Uh, but yeah, that's going to be uh, that's going to be an amazing match. I know they have Scotland now next to Ireland, but I think looking forward to the to the quarter final against uh, New Zealand will be uh, quite special as well. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, um, first of all, hard luck. I was watching it there uh, during yeah. the week. Three one up, yeah. Ken. I thought you had it. Four three. I know I played all right, and uh, I actually didn't get a shot in the last three frames. He made three big breaks. You know, it's a, it can happen. You know, in best of sevens, a short sprint. Yeah. Uh, and it was it was a good old match, you know. But uh, yeah, still here actually, still in Cheltenham, and uh, the semi-finals today. Mark Williams is in it against the same Buffay, and, and Max Abbey had a really good win last night against Jack It was a great match. Yeah. Five-four uh, in the end. He's in the semi-finals. He got through. Jack Kozowski. You feel so sorry for him, Reds. He's lost him. Six ranking finals. He hasn't got his hands on a ranking tournament yet, you know, and he, his, his quest still goes on. He just just can't get over the line. If he had a beat Selby there, he would have been a great chance for him, you know, and this yeah. is his local town here in Cheltenham. Great support for him, but he just got pipped 
five four in the end. So it's Selby against Gudong from China, and Mark Williams against the same Bafai in the other semi-final. So Mark Williams, it looks like, and, and Selby in the final on Sunday, which would be fantastic. It would be really good, you know, two greats of the game. Absolutely, yeah. Well, we look forward to that. Yeah, disappointing, as you said, for Lazowski, but uh, mm. yeah, it is uh, looking like it's still going to be a, a good final, nonetheless. Um, I know you're glued to it. It's uh, oh, yeah. it's not too bad we're at the moment, <laughs> the golf, I have to say. Yeah, we're all watching it in the green room. You know, Stephen Edry, McManus, Rishi, myself, Neil Fogg. And then we have to go out and do a little bit of snooker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fantastic, you know. Absolutely fantastic. What a day for, for Europe yesterday, you know. Once again, the, the welcome on the first day is just incredible. The crowds in Italy. course looks great. It looks tough. Like when you go into the rough, I mean, the ball sits right down. It doesn't suit the Americans at all. And uh, Europe got off to a great start. I mean, probably, uh, I, think it's, I think it equals the record, doesn't it? Of uh, first day lead, yeah. six and a half to one and a half. And it's going uh, amazing at the moment as well. We're up in three and tied in one and six up in that uh, in that second match. I mean, it's it's quite yeah. incredible. I mean, uh, well, I mean, Victor Hovland playing out of his skin at the yeah, moment. Yeah, exactly. And, and Rory the thing about it, Reg, is that, uh, you know, it could be over in the afternoon. Like, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, which would be a little bit of a sort of a, an anti-climax in a way. You'd, in, a, in a sort of a, in a sporting way, you'd want the man to come back a little bit just to make it interesting. Absolutely, yeah. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're just uh, absolutely battered. I think um, they were saying there's rumours that there was a little food poison in the camp and a few of the players weren't very well. Ricky Bell wasn't well. Zach Johnson came out with some statement yesterday about having a good doctor in the camp and yeah, but I think there's been some sort of some bug or some food poison and they're making excuses already, Rich. Mm, yeah, that sounds a bit dodgy to me now, yeah. that one, I have to say. <laughs> I wouldn't be buying into that. But yeah, it's uh, it's, it's, it's some stage to be at already, you know. Um, as you said, it could be over by... T- I mean, I don't expect that to be the case. You'd imagine there'd have to be a bit of a fight back from um, yeah. the the Americans at this stage. But uh, as it stands, six and a half, one and a half, and like two up, six up, tied and one up in, in the matches as they stand this morning. It's a pretty yeah. commanding position to be in. It is, uh, yeah. And Ram, Ram yesterday was outstanding, you know. To uh, He chipped in three times yesterday. Yeah. Know? And uh, he got an eagle on the, on the 18 to be the Scheffler and uh, Ketka, you know. And that was really the, oh, that was the, the final straw for the Americans yesterday. You know, they were, they were very, very unlucky. But, but Ram was just uh, sensational. And um, yeah, Ram has won, and you've been happy enough with, uh, you know, obviously McElroy. I mean, McElroy was brilliant. Both yeah. of his things, just unbelievable. Larry as well. He he did his part. You know, he didn't play in the second in the afternoon, but he he won his point in the in the, in the morning for some. Uh, mm. Yeah, he's up again today. So you know, he's uh, it's just been a great. They have a really strong team. You know, they were they were only six to five as well before the before the start, which was a big. Uh, Big price for them now, particularly you know with the home. They never travel well, the Americans, do they? Anytime they come home, no. they, they, they're very hard for them to win. They don't like it. They definitely they don't, don't like, like it. it so, yeah. no. Well, hopefully it'll continue on as well as it has done. Um, mm. I have to ask you because I haven't spoken to you for a while. Um, things, you know, in United. It's every week the same old story. Just uh, you're hearing different things coming in and out of the camp. Crystal Palace yeah. this week, of course. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean. Uh, you know, they, they they beat Crystal Palace during the week, so they, they got her into the Carabao. They got their, their win against Bournemouth. Badly needed win against Bournemouth last week. 
the Sancho thing rages on. I think some of the players have been urging him to apologise. And I think, I don't know what you think, but I think Ten Hag is dead right. I think he's absolutely right the way he's been uh, treated him. He has to be strong, you know, and uh, if anybody steps out of line, he almost, you know, called Ten Hag a lawyer on social media, you know. So he has to be disciplined. And he won't apologise. And if he doesn't apologise, he won't be part of the team. He's not even dining with the team. He's not using the first-team facilities. Uh, he's been totally banished. And he's been waiting for an apology, and no apology is coming. And if he doesn't apologise, he'd be, he'd, be, uh, he'd be on the transfer window in January. Well, I, I'd have to agree with you. I think you know the, the, the coach has to be mm. the boss, the book stops there. If you think back to the Alex Ferguson days, that's, this would never have happened. Never. Exactly. You know, I mean, you've got to have respect there. And an awful lot of that has been lost in football because of the huge salaries that the uh, managers are just in such a precarious position all the time. If they're not getting results uh, week yeah. in, week out, they could be gone. And it's player power running run the show and it's not working out. So that doesn't yeah. seem to be the case at somewhere like City, for example, when you look at it. Klopp certainly yeah. seems to have a good control on the Liverpool bit. And they seem to be successful on the back of it. Arteta the same. So yeah. you're dead, right? It has to be. It has to be yeah. disciplinary. If, if the manager doesn't have control or discipline, then all hell breaks loose. It's all over. So he has to, and he has to be shown to be strong as well. Yeah. You know, and that's exactly what he's done. He, and uh, for him to be successful, he has to set the bar. And uh, any, any of those players that are in discipline, uh, they have to be punished, you know. And, mm. and uh, Sancho, he hasn't performed. You know, he can't argue with a... Ten Hag at all. He hasn't performed since he's been there. He came for a big fee on a huge salary. He's been hugely disappointed. He scored, I think, twelve goals in eighty odd games. You know, yeah. which is ridiculous mm-hmm. for his for his standard and and his, and his skill and that was talent. You know, we should just get his head down, apologise, and try and get back in that first team. Absolutely. Well, hopefully we'll see if that's where, where it unfolds. Okay, so give me a prediction. You're going between Selby. You think Selby and Williams get to the final between the two of them? Who do you think? Selby and Williams final. I'm, I'm going to actually go with Williams. I think he's playing playing well. Both of them are playing fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and they're both, you know, one four-time world champion, Selby. Uh, now, I mean, you know, Williams has got to come through. Hussein Bafai, who's from Iran, uh, Iran, a really good player. Uh, that's going to be tough. But I still... I think Williams will get there. I think Williams will be fine. But I think Williams will be fine. Okay, excellent stuff. All right, you take care of yourself. We'll catch up again next week. Enjoying it. Okay, have a good weekend. Stephen O'Brien, what's going on? <laughs> Thanks, Reg. Good morning. <laughs> good morning uh, to you, know you too. I'm, I'm calling you from my podcast studio, right? Mm. And like you, I've got this sort of soundboard. So I can play a, a litany of farts. <laughs> You know what I mean? <laughs> if you keep slandering the Packers like this. No, but you're dead right. Uh, yeah, you're dead right. You know, it was one of those things. It's like, it's when you have someone on your fantasy football team, Reg, and they're coming up against your actual team and they score seven goals. And then you're like, you know, which one, you know, your, your loyalty really sort of washes out. But we smashed it in the other games, like really well. Um, and the Packers only had to uh, get over the Saints by a point and a half. And guess what, Reginald? They were down 17 zip. And they come back and equal a franchise record comeback in the fourth quarter, uh, 18-17. Unbelievably mm. thrilling game. I mean, unreal to watch. I was diving around. There was tar wheels to be had in the sitting room. 
Um, and then you realise, oh yeah, uh, well now we've missed a racket by 0.5 of a point. So that was a tenner down and 70 back, but we're going to make a comeback this week, Reg. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're well used to hitting the post on Akers. Don't worry about that. We'll forgive <laughs> you. you, Reginald. God it, damn it. Yes. Now, not just with you, I can assure you, not just with you on any sort of rugby or horse racing yeah. tips we give as well. It happens all the time. But um, it's been an interesting week, yeah. There's been lots of talk and there's been, you know... London, of course, on this week as well. Uh, we'll talk about that in a moment. But um, yeah, you're talking about Sean Payton and the Broncos humiliated as they were yeah. absolutely thrashed by the Dolphins, 70 points to 20. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, look, there's a backstory to this as well. I mean, the the score is silly on the face of it, you know, uh, when you look at it. But um, And why it's silly is, is because we've seen one-sided games. I just talked about the Packers there, right? And we were spanked again by the Lions on Thursday, which was really not good. Uh, and we, I guess we can talk about hot seats for the Packers coaches and all that kind of jazz. But Sean Payton, talk about hot seats. So the story, to, you never see the score, Reg. Why you don't see the score is that you can go up kind of one-sided, um, injuries are massive like you know in, in your sport of rugby uh, injuries are massive so if you go up silly points uh, there's two schools of thought you, you leave your boys out there and you sort of you know give the message to your team we smash you and we don't stop smashing you when really when an NFL season like rugby sometimes it's long so what you do is you take off your starters and mm-hmm. you put on the guys who need a bit of blooding and you put them on and then the other team score what's called points in garbage time so it's where no one really cares they're never going to make the comeback so to beat a team 70 to 20 is unbelievable but mm-hmm. not only that last year the Broncos traded for Russell Wilson it was a massive circus and they got the head coach Nathaniel Hackett in right so they got him from the Packers but Sean Payton, right, um, he's the coach now for the Broncos, right? But he was the coach for the Saints, brought them to a Super Bowl, all that sort of stuff. He was seen as this sort of quarterback guru, right? So he retires, effectively, uh, when um, Drew Brees retires. Sort of a, there's a bit of a lag there. He goes off and does his uh, you know, commentating and all this type of stuff. They pull him out of retirement to go and coach the Broncos, right? And you, you'll know this from professional sports. There's kind of there's a brotherhood when it comes to players sometimes, especially when it comes to coaches, right? You won't have a coach coming out and saying, it's like when United go up against a bad team or when a team comes up against United, they don't call them bad, right? Mm. They sort of turn around and go, oh, it's going to be a tough game. Oh, it's, this team is, is, is hard, you know. But, we but respect what them. Sean Payton did was, <laughs> is he came up and said, Hackett's a, a bit of a clown. Uh, you know, like his coaching job is one of the worst I've ever seen. And then he takes over the Broncos, and then he gets clobbered 70 points to 20. <laughs> and not only that, and I'll finish with this one, the Dolphins head coach, which are the team that beat him, Mike McDaniel, he used to be the ball boy for the Broncos when he was a teenager. So now you have the ball boy comes back and absolutely hands it to Sean Payton, who was so critical of the last coach. And they haven't won a game all season, Reg. Right. So we'll talk about a storyline. Yeah, well, I mean, it must be a nice feeling for the ball boy. No question about it, being able to walk back in there. Uh, there's games on in London this week, am I right in that? You are, yeah. It's it's coming back to the International Series games. Again, like, I mean, the the record that they have of having good games in London, you know, where it's kind of people would balk at it. But yeah, look, it's a, it's a massive industry. You have a quarter of a million people going through Regent Street in London, Reg. Um, the Americans don't like it because the game does be on nice and early. It's going to be on a half-two on Sunday. Mm. Um, but yeah, look, there's an awful lot of fanfare about it. It's another sort of commitment to the NFL to come to the UK. Um, but again, they, they opened up markets in Ireland because we have the Steelers having an official fan club here now. And they also opened it up in Germany as well. Um, so the thing is, is that I think the NFL have realised just how lucrative 
it is uh, when they go to different countries, Germany in particular, yeah. uh, which is why sort of people are complaining that Germany get the better games and stuff like that. But yeah, look, it'll be all over the TV. It'll be free to air. So if you hear me waxing on about NFL every week yeah. and you're, you haven't got the Sky Sports channels to watch it, it'll be on TV. So Makes give it a view. Sense. Give it a little bit of a look later on. Okay, the internet's gone into meltdown over Taylor Swift making an appearance appearance uh, at one of the Bears games. Was it? Uh, yeah, because she's going out with well, allegedly, right? It's all this is people tune in for the hard hitting NFL stuff, but this is a really interesting storyline again, right? Because she's going out with this guy allegedly. Uh, it's a rumor with Travis Kelsey. He's a tight end for the Chiefs. Now the Chiefs are an unbelievable team. You know, Super Bowl champs. Uh, they're always tipped to go back and do it again. Travis Kelsey himself, Reg, is seen as like one of the best players in the game. So there was this storyline where he wanted to get, an, uh, well, I think it was a bracelet or something, and he went on social media. He said, how can I get this bracelet to Taylor Swift? Because he thought he'd go to her gig and get to meet her backstage and stuff like this. But so everyone's been watching this thing, but there's no denying it. She's a global superstar, right? And whether you like her music or don't like her music, she's an absolute force. She's one of the most influential people on the planet right now if you want to look at politicians and all of this she's right up there mm. so for instance she was rumored to play the super bowl halftime show but allegedly had to turn it down because the clamor for tickets for the super bowl would all go to her fans swifties instead of going to actual football fans and she said she didn't want to sort of because we all know reds the super bowl is expensive enough to get to yeah and then if you look at the scandal that happened here in ireland i mean she came to ireland and again this is not the taylor swift uh, radio show here yeah. but it's interesting that the hotel prices went up they went through the roof you know her tickets were going for tens of thousands but if you look at the nfl impact of that the, the nfl marketer the he's the svp of marketing and social media he said that when this happened, they leaned into this completely because all the NFL care about is engagement, you know, getting it's, numbers yeah. up. Travis Kelsey's jerseys, Reg, spiked by 400% in sales. His podcast became the number one podcast in America after this came out. The game was viewed by 25 million people and the Bears are absolutely tragic this season. And the highest demographic was between females aged between 17 and 49. Ticket sales are started to rocket for Chiefs games because of the rumour that she would be there. And to show you just how bizarre it actually got during that Bears game, is every time the Chiefs would score or Travis Kelsey would have a catch, usually it goes to the sidelines or his teammates or his offensive coordinator. Goes to the, the stand, camera was looking for panning her. up to Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was the offensive coordinator, you know. Maybe she should be. Well, maybe, uh, so maybe she it, will it's be. really bizarre. The way things are turning out these days. Okay, we missed out uh, a little bit. Enough Taylor Swift chat. Uh, <laughs> missed out a little bit last week uh, on the ACA. We want to try and make it better. What are we looking at this week? Yeah, look, now there's high spreads, but when you see the likes of uh, the Broncos getting beaten by 50 points, I think we can cover some of these. So the Chiefs are coming up against the Jets. Jets have a tough defence. The Chiefs have to beat them by 8.5 points, so it's a touchdown and a field goal. But the Chiefs are on fire. And look, they have the Swifties behind them here, Reg. So I get they'll win that. The Eagles are coming up against the Commanders. The Eagles, again, another powerhouse of a team. Um, So they're minus 8.5, which is quite high. I wouldn't usually go that way. But again, the Eagles are seemingly unstoppable. And then the Vikings and the Panthers game, I picked. Now, both of these teams are winless. Um, uh, They're 0-3. But the Vikings are the second biggest passing team uh, this year. So they're good. They just can't get over the hump. So they have to beat the Panthers, who are also winless by 4.5 points. And I think this is, unfortunately for the Packers, because they're in their division, I think this is the week that they overcome and get their first win. So, uh, yeah, that's the ACA. So Chiefs, Eagles and Vikings playing the spreads. Um, and it's a tenner down and 70 back. Okay, and what about the other interesting games to uh, watch in week four? What stands out for you? Yeah, there's, there's a really big one, uh, Dolphins-Bills. So again, Dolphins are the team that sort of absolutely paced it um, uh, by the 50 points. So they're coming up against the Bills, who again are a powerhouse of a team. So that's definitely one to watch. Uh, and then when you, 
when you look at the likes of the Broncos Bears game, I mean, two tragic teams. I think the NFL should be allowed to just say, ah, you're grand, and then not play a game. So if you find yourself in a room with the Broncos and Bears games, just turn off the TV and go outside. I mean, don't be watching it. Um, I don't have to worry about the Packers on Sunday because we got beaten on Thursday, which is uh, gruesome. Uh, but yeah, look, there's between the International Series games, uh, between, you know, Cowboys are the team again this year. Uh, the Niners, again, haven't lost the game. They're coming up against the Cardinals, who are really struggling. Um, but yeah, look, I think the ones in Arrakis are kind of the ones to watch as well, Reg, to be honest. How, how worried are you quickly about your beloved Packers uh, stating the fact that, you know, they did make a good comeback, but then get destroyed? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's bad. There's two schools of thought. I'll be brief, right? The, yeah. you, this is what you expect. You've got a, you change your quarterback from Aaron Rodgers to Jordan Love. Uh, most of the offensive players are either in their first year or second year, and that's fine, right? The expectations are low. However, the problem is defense. So when you look on the defensive side of the ball, we've eight first-round picks. I'll say it again. Eight first-round picks, and we're atrocious on defense. Uh, sometimes we're good, sometimes we're bad. Sometimes we sure up the run, sometimes we don't. It's too inconsistent, Reg. And Joe Barry kind of has seen us on his you know, last chance this year. And what we saw against the Lions was, is Matt LaFleur, the coach, came out and said, all we have to do is stop the run. That's what our game plan is, and we simply couldn't do it. We got ran all over. So I think Joe Barry is already in the hot seat. I don't think they're the type of team to let him go during the season. But when you have a brand new offense like this, you want your defense to stand up and keep them in games. They're not doing that, so that's slightly concerning. But I still think we need to temper our expectations. It's a very young team, the youngest team in the NFL. Will Slattery of the Irish Independent and Left Wing Podcast. Haven't spoken for a while. Will, great to chat to you. Yeah, great to be back, Reggie, and what a day for us. Oh my God, what a day for it. Yeah, the excitement, I, I have to say, I mean, I know we're, we're getting carried away, but the excitement levels all week have gone through the roof uh, across Ireland. Um, we're nowhere near the knockout stages. We're kind of uh, a long way off any titles, but uh, this feels like this, uh, this is the, the moment of truth for this Irish team. It's funny, I couldn't agree more with you. I'm trying to put my finger on why it's captured everyone's attention in quite the way it has. I think, you know, the fixture was first announced over a thousand days ago. That's almost three years that we've been waiting for this game. And everything that's happened in the meantime, you know, it's kind of viewed through the prism of the World Cup and, and this looming South African clash. And it's just set up so nicely. And I think the anticipation grows from the fact that Ireland are in such a good place. 27 wins out of 29, 15 wins in a row. The team looks so sharp. Key men are in great form. The collective is in great form. And then the, kind of the, the narratives and the subplots around 7-1 splits, the kind of South African mind games, and the fact that the, you know, the tournament maybe opens up a slightly better path if you win. So it's all into the mix as an absolute cracker. And I agree. I, I can't remember the last time a game has quite got this amount of build-up. You're probably coming back a very long time, potentially to that first Grand Slam under Declan Kidney. Like, that's how big it feels, even though, as you say, it's only a pool match and we're a long way from the end of the tournament. Absolutely. And and rumours of over 50,000 Irish fans making the journey. I know one man who's going via Belgium, getting the train from Belgium this morning uh, to get over to Paris for the game this evening. Uh, trains, planes and automobiles. But uh, over 50,000 fans expected to be in Paris today for this one um, it, it, has, it really has captured the imagination uh, of, of the Irish fans Yeah and I wouldn't underestimate the significance of that yeah. as Johnny Sexton alluded to like <laughs> Ireland's experience in the Stade of France is always you know you know, really on the receiving end of a very hostile atmosphere and, and we saw one of the two defeats uh, Ireland have suffered on this winning run was in that first game kind of with fans back post-COVID where it was a shock to the system for a lot of the, the guys like Hugo Keenan, Caelan Doris who wouldn't have experienced that kind of partisan atmosphere so to have that flipped around on its head it could be a massive lift for the Irish team and in particular if they go on in this tournament to kind of 
get a Stade de France experience under their belt with a really reciprocal Irish crowd on their back, that could be massive. I really wouldn't underestimate it. It hasn't really been talked about a huge amount in the build-up, but I think it could be it could be a crucial element to that. Like Ireland will be the vast majority supporters there, and they're very strong with an Irish crowd at their back. I'll tell you one thing you cannot underestimate that I'll never forget Telstra Dome, Melbourne, 2003. Uh, we took on the Aussies and lost, but we didn't get there in the end. But uh, the noise levels were off the charts from the Irish fans and it gives you an incredible lift on the pitch. It just has, you know, you're, you're kind of, uh, you're just buzzing the whole time and, and you take that atmosphere and in Paris to have that at your back uh, against the South African side will be huge. So you're right, I think it'll be, I think it'll give them a huge lift and uh, might be the factor that gets them across the line. Let's hope so. Now, you mentioned the 7-1 split. There's been a lot of Strange conversation, I'll put it uh, this way, this week around that 7-1 split. For me personally, I don't see the problem with it. I mean, you know, th- there's nothing that says you couldn't pick 15 forwards on a rugby team if you want. You might suffer, though. You might be at a disadvantage. Um, I'm just not getting the fuss over this 7-1 split. Well, like, obviously, a lot of people probably saw Matt Williams, your former coach, saying yeah. you're morally wrong. And I don't agree with that route. It made for a good, you know, copy or, or what have you. But I do think tactically it's a major, major error. And I'm expecting that to be a vital part of a potential Ireland victory uh, later on if it does come. If you just look at the makeup of the bench and look back to, say, the one game they played in the Razzie Erasmus era last November, who was the key man in the second half? to change the game it was Willie LaRue coming off the bench as another playmaking option he helped create the two tries that they scored so they've sacrificed the ability to change that area of the game to focus solely on the forward power and okay are you going to tell me that Markov and Staden uh, I think an average enough springbok by their standards is worth more than Willie LaRue off the bench I think absolutely not you're saying you're bringing on seven forwards that means there's only going to be one marquee forward of the starting pack the best pack in the world that's going to go the full 80 Uh, are you telling me that none of those other guys as good as they are are good enough to, to last the full 80 and have major impact for moments. There's a reason those guys are starting in the first place. Among the seven forwards, there's no second hooker. You can say Dion Perry can throw the line out and play there before, which he has. But in the international level, that's a major ask. And then also, I don't think the quality of the forward is what it was even in 2019. Mm. Like Jean Klein is one of the additional forwards picked. He wasn't deemed good enough to get in the Ireland training squad. I mentioned Marco Van Staden there. Like Ronan O'Gara said that, you know, Cobus Ryan can cover a host of positions as a scrum half, but like, and Quagga Smith, a flanker, can do the same. But like, that's like saying Josh Van der Fleer's real quick, he could play on the wing. You know, I think they're one injury away from the whole thing really unraveling with them. And there's just a lot of question marks over Manny Lebock as well. Yep. You don't really have the opportunity to change him. You could maybe bring on LaRue to full back Willem to the 10 if you had that option. I think you, they could have gone 6 2, and they would have had a really robust, powerful forward pack and have the options to change it. For this, for this, I just think it's tactically farmy. And look, the proof will be in the pudding at 10pm tonight, whether it's a good call or not. But I think they'll have won in spite of this selection, not because of it. So I'm very, very intrigued to see how it goes. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I don't, th- I don't agree with it from a tactical point of view. I have nothing to do. I don't mind the morality. I don't believe that it's, it affects anything. You've still got three front row players. I get Matt Williams' point about injury, but the, there's three front row players still on the bench, uh, which is compulsory. That's the area that's uh, dangerous, you know, is the front row. Yeah. So that's, that's dealt with. So I don't buy into that other stuff that was uh, being mentioned. But, uh, you know, again, as you said, you look at DuPont getting injured so early in that game. You look at 
any anybody a, a key playmaker the 10 god forbid if anything was to happen to ours the state that we might be finding ourselves in um, and I, as much as I love Tyke Furlong and how, how amazing his hands are I don't want them standing out in the back line you know uh, I, I, I don't want forwards coming on that have to play in those key positions and it could happen very very quickly to South Africa um, and, and I, I agree I just agree with you completely I, th- I just think it's too risky also you're only giving yourself a one maybe two forward advantage over what the opposition have anyway well, so exactly I mean, like so it's the benefit of having the seventh forward so great yeah. that's my point is Marco van Staden going to make such a big impact that it's worth risking your entire game plan yeah. if there's an injury in the back line and you're robbing yourself of Willie LaRue one of the great playmakers in world rugby for me that's just like utterly mad yeah. and I actually would be intrigued to see if this was the opening game and they hadn't already beaten Scotland would they go with this selection like part of me is wondering are they like do they think that they're, they have a foot in the quarters and they're kind of like trying to lay down a marker or put out a statement or get in Ireland's head like it's hard to know what Razi Erasmus thinks with some of these things. Um, as I mentioned, like not calling up an, a, an actual hooker after the injury to Malcolm Marks, like that's a, that's a, that's a major. Like they obviously really feel they needed Andre Pollard, but that's a major risk as well against like, the Irish lineout that that strips opposition lineouts continually. You know they yeah. do it for fun. Peter Manny goes up for fun stealing opposition lineout ball, and if you've got a hooker that's inexperienced and doesn't like, yeah, I, I've played in so many games where a lineout falls apart and the whole team falls apart. If you don't win your lineout ball, you're not winning games. Yeah, you're requiring Mbanambi, who's a world-class hooker, to basically go the full 80, like, or, or maybe get 75 minutes and you get Dion Fury on. Like, I, like you know, to be fair, I, I haven't seen Dion Fury play a hooker. Nobody has in about five or six years because yeah. he doesn't play there. Now, he could come in and be unbelievable because he has played there before, and then maybe it'll, it'll look a lot more sensible than it appears at the moment. But it, again, it seems just like an unnecessary risk. And I think that whole back, you know, pack, or bench selection is an unnecessary risk. But we, you must, we, I suppose we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that their starting team is bloody good. Absolutely. That pack, that pack is the best pack in world rugby. So, you know, they, they might be able to get the job half done with their starting team and it might not matter quite as much, but it just leaves them open to variables that the Irish bench, for instance, instance doesn't. Like, the Irish bench, for me, has more game changers than the South African bench. Robbie Henshaw, the ability to bring him on, a versatile back, world-class centre who can also cover other positions as well, for me, is much more valuable than if they had shoehorned on, you know, Joe McCarthy onto the bench. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, Yeah, well, let's talk about Ireland. Um, Pretty much as expected, you know. um, It's a strong side. There's no question about it. It's a a really, really strong side and a, a side that have found form. I mean, okay. We, we didn't have the biggest challenges in our opening two games, but at the same time, you're putting 82 points on the board in your opening game, playing some pretty decent rugby, and you've got someone like Bundiaki in the form of his life at the moment. Uh, things looking solid throughout interplay between forwards and backs it just seems to be timing itself quite well now this is not the World Cup final and semi-final or even quarter-final at this stage but it's a big marker in terms of what Ireland want to lay down they'll be going absolutely all out for a victory in this one and, and putting it to bed that they've qualified uh, at this stage and, and not having to leave it to a Scottish game to, to, to get qualification yeah, and then nobody knows more than Ireland that winning your pool with all your matches doesn't guarantee anything come quarter final time. But the, but the crest of the way that this Ireland team is on, I think it's a much more important victory for Ireland tonight than if South Africa were together. South Africa know they're basically into the quarter final, barring some unusual results to come. They know that they can take on the French power. 
Ireland, I think, want to keep this winning run going. And I agree with you. Like, you, Romania and Tonga are obviously, you know, weak teams. But I think the way they put them to the sword, we know from previous World Cups, if you pick your strongest team and don't put the team to the sword, the doubts creep in. You know, it can really put you under pressure then to deliver in your big game when, when it comes around. So I, I don't think it could have gone any better. Like, Ireland come into this game with basically everyone fit and firing. Like, Dan Sheehan's just back. I know Jack Conan's probably the one player they're missing. But, God, you did a bit in... You know, someone's hand off of that was offered to you before the tournament. Like, in contrast, as we mentioned, Malcolm Marks is gone. Andre Pollard's not fit. Lucanio Amo and Luke De Jaeger didn't even make it to the tournament. That's like five key starters for the Springboks. And couple that with their bench issues, I think Andy Farrell will be delighted with the way they're coming into this game. That's why it all seems so primed for a really big performance tonight. There's nothing in the build-up anyway that I feel like we are going to be looking back on if they do lose and say, oh, that was what tripped them up. It's all about delivering and executing tonight. That's why I think Ireland are in such a good place because there's no signs at the moment that they're not capable of dealing with the pressure and delivering. This is a major step up, the biggest test they've probably had in this 29-game sequence. Mm. But they seem so well prepared for it, you know, tactically, form-wise. Even Johnny Sexton after a six-month layoff looked really razor sharp in those two games but as we saw with the DuPont moment the other night it's one tackle away from your whole plans being upended so that's why everything is so delicately poised on a knife edge Absolutely and, and, and why we're uh, also excited about it has to be said now you mentioned uh, the DuPont injury um Horrific to see it. Like for rugby fans and every rugby fan that I've spoken to, the odd one has said, Oh, it's great for us because, you know, we went, yeah, No, <laughs> it's not. We want to see the best players in the world playing and we want to play against them. We want to beat them with the best players in their team. It doesn't look great now. I mean, I know they're not absolutely coming out and saying he's gone, but it doesn't look great for, his, for the rest of his tournament, does it? Well, it's funny you mentioned this because just as I came on, there was reports, more reports in France that he had surgery last night uh, to insert a you know a plate or a pin into his you know into that into that cheekbone, and they're they're optimistic that he might be back for semi-finals and potentially even quarter-finals. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't rule anything out. Honestly, mm. I, I think we will see him again at the semi-final so. stage if France get that far, and. If he's ha- if if there's a, a if there's a possibility of him playing in that quarter final, he'll play. Like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity for France in a home World Cup as the favourites. He is the key man, the captain, the main man, the biggest star in world rugby. Like unless it's like threatening to his long term health and he he is fit to play, I think they'll take the risk because it, it, they won't they might not win a quarter final if they don't have him. If like if they get over that hump, you know potentially it opens up for them again. But that quarter final is probably their defining game. They're either going to be playing South Africa or most likely Ireland. I know I've discounted Scotland there, but and it could come back to bite me. But that's what it looks like. I think they're going to press press them back into action before the end of the tournament. And as I agree with you, like no one wants to see this tournament without Antoine Dupont. We saw New Zealand in 2011. Dan Carter missed out, and it, it was like they ended up winning it, but it, it was it wasn't quite the same as in 15 when he got the great moment with the drop goal, and it felt a lot more of a of a kind of a victory with their key man there. So yeah, I agree with you. I, I really hope he gets back fit, and I, I think. You know, reading what the French are saying at the moment, they're quietly confident that he'll play a part in this tournament. Well, let's hope so. It won't be easy. I can tell you, it won't be easy if he has got a plate yeah. just inserted in his in his cheekbone or his jaw or anywhere. It won't be easy to play a match, but uh, no doubt he'll overcome that. <laughs> you have to laugh even just just even thinking about that in relation to the fact that he might play uh, with a broken jaw or a broken cheekbone and a steel plate in. Um, it's four weeks and, to the semi final, though. Like that is like you know, that's, I know it's I don't get what you're saying, but like four weeks is a lot. We've seen players come like Johnny Sexton fractured his cheekbone on New Year's Day and albeit that was six weeks later but if he had to play in, a six, in, a, in the, if the six nations was four weeks by all accounts he would have been fit to play and, and his face was 
looked like it had been dented with a hammer. Like it looked, it looked a lot worse than New Barnes did. So, I, I, yeah, you would. I would, you, the modern medicine these days, you wouldn't know. But like, look, yeah. as we said, oh, fingers crossed. Gets would we see too many footballers doing it? I'm not so sure. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, Eddie Jones. He's never uh, fails to provide entertainment. Uh, there's no question about it. He's now even calling for his own <laughs> sacking. It sounds like the way he's talking in the press and in the papers. Um, but uh, they've got a huge game. This is the other exciting one to look forward. To over the course of the weekend as Australia take on Wales in a do-or-die match for them after they were beaten uh, by Fiji, of course. Um, what do you think? I, I, I'm actually siding with Wales on this one, and Wales are not the greatest team in the world, but I'm just leaning towards Wales. But uh, the Aussies, are they really are backs to the wall. Oh, big time. You know, Eddie Jones obviously said at his stall, is picking a very young team. He was talking more about the next World Cup and the Lions Tour, about building into those that will both be on Australian soil. And I, I think the Australian public might have half accepted that had they gotten out of the group. Like, that was the bare minimum. Like, if you get out of the group and, and maybe lose a quarterfinal and it's all about building for the future, given that where they were coming from, that might have been okay. But this is would be the worst World Cup in the history of Australian rugby if they don't get out of the pill, even by losing to Fiji. You know, I, people, might, some people listening might have seen Drew Mitchell's comments during the week. I he did. was effing and blinding, and it was really, yeah. really kind of stark comments about Eddie Jones. He's not a popular guy there. It's funny, uh, for all the success he's had and the big personality, there's a lot of people who were waiting for him to slip up to, to really But he wasn't popular before they appointed yeah. him, or reappointed him. You know, he, he kind of wasn't popular anyway. Yeah, he's one of those guys that... <laughs> Kind of like classic, like everyone's kind of cliche, but the Mourinho example, like when, when you're successful, you can only really pull that style off if you're going to be successful. Mm. You can't just go around alienating people, being really rude, turning your staff over, you know, making very erratic team selections and not win. That's just not a sustainable way to run a rugby team. And it's not something that's going to get a lot of buy-in from supporters. And, I, you know, interesting, classic Warren Gatlin, maybe a bit of mind games, but reading his column there during the week, he was saying that he thinks part of Eddie Jones's remit is to kind of boost the profile of rugby union in Australia because it is a distant fourth behind rugby league cricket and AFL. And with that Lions tour and our home World Cup to come, I think Australia feel it as vital that they have someone at the helm that's going to get eyeballs and get people talking. Dave Rennie wasn't that guy, even though his success wasn't, you know, he didn't have huge success, but he, didn't, he wasn't too bad either. Yeah. Whereas Eddie Jones has presided over an absolute car crash so far. And it, yeah, I find it really hard to call this game because Wales, like they beat Fiji, but you know, they were clinging on at the end. You know, we, everyone knows Matthew Carley made a couple of very bad decisions in that game. Fiji should probably be two out of two and, you know, on course for top spots. So that pool is really odd to play for. I have a feeling there could be a kick in Australia, a small kick in Australia this weekend that might get them over the line. Yeah. Because of the, the match point scenarios, that actually might not be enough to get them out of the group. So, it, yeah, it's very interesting. Obviously, Ireland South Africa is hoovering up most of the attention, but we have another belter on Sunday night and. You know, Gatlin and Jones, it's, it's, it's just really set up. But what it really hammers home is that side of the draw is an abject disgrace in terms of their... Like, watching Argentina, if anyone saw them yesterday, yeah. people, they were absolutely awful two matches in a row. Yeah. And it's ridiculous that two of those teams are going into a semi-final. Yeah, whereas on, on this side of the draw, we're going to see two gladiators in the Coliseum tonight. And, you know, one of them might not make it that far. But, look, that's the way it breaks. And it still make for a fascinating weekend. Absolutely. And England ticking along nicely, quietly in the background over on the other side as well. You never know where they'll end up. OK, Will, absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed that chat. Um, we'll catch up with you again next week and um, enjoy the game. Thanks, Reggie. Delighted to be joined in studio by the one and only Declan Drake. Declan, a pretty busy weekend ahead of us. 
Yes, good morning, Reg. It certainly is. Plenty of big line-outs. See what I did there? <laughs> uh, coming up over the course of the weekend as the serious business of the club championships in 2023, sponsored across the board by Go Ahead Ireland, is upon us. The last eight of the Senior One Football Championship are down for decision across the weekend with a Parnell Park double header today and tomorrow. Brian Talty will be joining us shortly to cast his eye over those and to tell us who he thinks will make the last eight. Before that, though, just wanted to bring you up to date on the status of the Senior One Hurling Championship in the county. Now, St. Vincent's and Luke and Sarsfields are through directly to the semi-finals. Who will join them? Well, that will be decided at county headquarters a week tomorrow. Two intriguing quarterfinals on the agenda. And some big guns, Reg, are going to have their championship fire extinguished here. County champions Kilmacud Croaks taking on Nafina in a repeat of last year's decider, which, of course, Croaks won. While uh, before that, Ballyboden St. Enda's Tackle cooler. Plenty of more on those two massive games in the hurling championship next weekend. To the ladies' scenes, and first of all, we must say congratulations to 12 Dublin All Ireland winners nominated for TG Car All Star Awards. They will be announced mid November at the annual awards banquet. And one of those nominees, indeed, is goalkeeper Abby Shields from Luke and Sarsfields, as she picked up the individual 2023 Golden Glove Award during the week for saves made in the 2023 Championship. So congratulations to Abby on that particular achievement and one would have to think that uh, she will be the All-Star goalkeeper come November but uh, I've seen enough surprises at these events over the years but uh, we certainly wish her and her 11 colleagues every success uh, and uh, good wish is ahead of that particular event. On the field of play, the last four of the Ladies Senior Football Championship uh, are now known. Champions uh, Kilmacud Croaks, of course, already through. They've been joined from Group A by Clontarf, who beat uh, Ballyboden St. Enders 3-10-2-7 on Wednesday. In Group B, well, Thomas Davis, they're back in the semi-finals. The Tallah ladies had a huge 4-14-2 point success over Kula in their final group game. They finished level on points with Foxhawk Cabinteely on 7 but that's a massive victory over Kula enough to see them over the line the semi-finals are fixed for next Wednesday both at 8 o'clock it's Croaks versus Davis uh, meeting as they did in the final last year this time though the semi-final meeting will be at Park de Burke at the home of Kilmacud Croaks on Wednesday at 8 o'clock and Nafina who have been particularly impressive coming through Group B they will face Clontarf that one is in Abbottstown and the final is fixed for Friday October the 6th at Parnell Park so good night's football I think in prospect there on Wednesday now as we said at the start it's quarterfinals weekend in the Senior 1 Football Championship for 2023 so massive games taking place at uh, county headquarters over the course of the weekend and joining me now to look ahead to them is Brian Talty a very good morning Talty how are you this morning? Morning, Dickie. Good, yeah. Lovely uh-huh. morning. Ah, lovely morning indeed, and uh, plenty of good football to look forward to oh, over the course of the yeah. weekend. And I suppose you know, no better place to start than this evening at a quarter to five. The blockbuster clash of Kilmacud Croaks, the defending county, provincial, and All Ireland club champions, of course, taking on Ballymun Kickhams, the last side other than Croaks to win the county title in 2020. And I think Brian, first to say that you know, had COVID not struck when it did in 2020, Ballymun would have had a serious impact on the All-Ireland Club Championship had it been played in, in that particular year. But they're meeting this evening in the quarter-final at a quarter to five and this has Blockbuster written all over it. Yeah, absolutely. Really looking forward to the the, the weekend's football deck and uh, some massive games. But this is this is the one, I think, you know. Um, 
and both teams have been well, Crokes have been going fairly well and putting up good scores and you know I think the score is something like 117 411 that kind of 14 points uh, Ballymun hasn't really hit it yet but uh, but we know the talent that they have in their team and both these teams have some unbelievable talent when you look at the forward talent um, unbelievable like you're looking at uh, Paul Mannion Shane Walsh um, and, and then you're looking at hopefully for Ballymun Paddy Small who's been out Declan a bit uh, with, a, with a hamstring injury I'm sure they're hoping he's going to be there today with Dean Rock uh, James McCarthy coming through the middle huge talent out there today so um, yeah I, I, I just think Ballymun if they bring their A game if they bring that aggression that they play with uh, if they really go for it and as far as I know I've seen them train in, uh, in Abbottstown here they're really motivated by the fact they're taking on Tim McCulcroke so this is going to be a huge game and uh, I, I think whatever defence can get on top of the forward line is the team that's going to win it. So, which that is, Declan, we don't know until the day today. But uh, really looking forward to the big challenges there today. Yeah, it can be difficult, of course, Brian, to to come back after the high of an All Ireland club title win. Never mind a county title win and defend your titles. But Crokes have made a fairly good fist of that so far. And um, while last year, of course, they added Shane Walsh to their panel, which had a tremendous uh, positive impact off the field this year. They've brought in former Mead star Bernard Flynn uh, uh, as well. What what extra does he give the the camp off the field? Do you think? Well, Bernard is a very good man manager. You know, he'd be he'd be very good with the players, and uh, you know, he'd be able to talk to the forward line particularly. And you know, when I look at that that Crokes forward line, Declan, um, you, you know, there's a great blend in it. You know, you have Shane Cunningham and you have Shane Horn who do tremendous amount of work, and then you have the Paul Paul Mannions, the Hugh Kennys, Darren Mullen. It's it's a really good forward line, you know. So Bernard has a lot to work with, to be honest with you. Uh, any coach who wanted to work with a forward line, that's a forward line you want to work with. So I'm sure he'll have an influence over the whole thing. He's he's a cool, calm customer. So um, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting because Robbie was doing a great job out there anyway. So so uh, just adding that a, a, a new voice, I suppose that's what he wants. Oh, he's doing a great job right now though, as they hunt down the three in a row we could talk about this game all night but uh, we have to move on because there's so much other quality football we hope to look forward to uh, as well oh sorry just before we move on um, the nod in that one Crokes or, or Ballymun well um, I'm just hoping that, that Ballymun bring their, their aggressive skillful game to this and that uh, you know the likes of Paddy Small and um, James McCarthy are without injury like I think James McCarthy a little injury throughout the championship uh, and if they're flying uh, and Johnny Small does a good job back in the back it'll be a very tight game but I think the panel overall and that forward line that's uh, that that Crooks have I think they'll just about get there and I'm just hoping for a great game of football Yeah, if they come through there'll be a point waiting and park the burker for you you can be sure of that Brian no doubt about it Okay, that's the tip on that one well the second semi-final by the game is live on television this evening but I would urge GA people and just football sporting people in general to get to Parnell Park particularly for that first game this afternoon so much inter-county All-Ireland winning talent on display it would be money well spent anyway the second game this evening is a cross-Liffey game between Ballyboden St Enders and Castle Knockboden topped the group uh, this year but they went one better with a 100% record in Group 1 and they're taking on Castle Knock who have been there thereabouts for the last couple of years um, a fine developing team of course Bill around the attacking prowess of Kieran Kilkenny so who's going to come through that one do you think Brian and why? 
Uh, I'm looking at Ballyboard and all through the championship, Declan, and they're 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 playing really well. I think they can go another step as well, but they're putting in huge scores, like they're scoring three seventeen, one seventeen, one sixteen. Uh, no huge scores, and when you look at the forward line, Ryan Bascal is 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 the leader in the forward line, and then he has Collie, his brother beside him. Now the other fellow, Ross Ross McGarry, as well as there, but. Warren Egan has been getting great scores for them, so their forward line are are are, are very good. Like, but I was impressed with Castlenock, especially against Croaks. Now, especially early on in the game, they really went at Croaks. They took them on. They ran at them. They caused huge problems. Uh, you know, with the likes of Rob Shaw, Tomas um, Shields, Senan Falk, or Owen O'Brien driving forward from the half back line, and then of course you had Kieran Kilkenny, Luke Swan, and McDermott Rowe and Tommy McDaniel up there. So they're a really good team. Uh, they just have to get the blend of defending and attacking. They really attack really well, but gave away, uh, I think against Cross, gave away easy enough goals, four goals or something like that. But they actually played really well. So they will really take, they'll take Borden on. But I think Borden, they have a great panel of players. And with that forward line that they have, and, and again with Michael McDonald in the middle of the field, Michael Garrett comes in and they have a fellow called Keen Darcy from Galway playing in the middle of the field as well they're very very strong uh, I just think they might tip that but I think it'd be a really good game we're expecting the Ballymund uh, Crokes game to be a big game this is going to be a big game as well and it'll be a huge challenge I, I go for Borden on it because uh, I've been watching them all year and they're going really well but I think Casanoff will give a right good shot yeah, quarter to seven, that one is uh, this evening at uh, County Headquarters, completing the double bill there. So then to uh, tomorrow afternoon, Brian, another double header. It starts with St. Jude's taking on Kula at the Parnell Park. And um, St. Jude's, a very impressive, three victories in the group uh, so far, improving all the time. Taking on a Kula team who qualified for the quarterfinals thanks to the head-to-head rule um, after beating Thomas uh, Davis. So how do you see th- this one going tomorrow? Is, is it going to be well there's obviously going to be a south side team in the last four from yeah. this particular game but uh, which one is it going to be uh, I, I think Jews will probably take it now a lot of people talk about Jews and say we don't like Washington Jews because they're a very defensive team now they have been Declan over the last few years but Kieran Durkin is, he told me there lately that he's the only forward that has been a forward coach that they've had in a long time uh, and with the forward line that he has you look at his full forward line of Pat Spillane Dara Rooney, who's from Leitrim, a really good player, and Liam Connaughton from Longford. They're putting up huge scores. So um, they're gone. They are good defensively. They have Tom Lehiff in the middle of the field and have these forwards, and they're putting up they're putting up big scores for a defensive team. They're putting up four eleven, two eleven, one twelve in their three games. Like it's huge scores, uh, and I, I just think they might have just too much for for Kula. But there's something in the back of my head, Declan, that's saying. This Cooler team are improving all along. Their their first game against Rohini wasn't great, uh, but but their last two games, particularly putting um, Thomas Davis out of the championship, was a huge huge thing for them. You know, so they have Niall O'Callaghan, Conor O'Callaghan, Luke Keating in the forward line, and Mick Fitz soldiering at the back. It's going to be another tight game. I think they're all going to be tight. I go for Jews on it because. I think they have a good defensive record, and now the forwards are beginning to motor as well. So, okay, uh, I go for them, but. 
it'll be tight. OK, I'll move on then quickly to the last one. Rahini taking on St. Vincent's. And I'd have to say that the man who's manning the green flag uh, at the attacking end for Rahini tomorrow will be hoping he has a quieter afternoon than his, uh, his colleague would have had the last day against Luke and Sarsfields when he had to raise it no fewer than seven times. Vins back in Division 1 or Senior 1 Championship after winning Senior 2 last year. Who's going to come through in this all-north side battle, Brian? Yeah, what a performance by Vincent the last day. Like everybody would have had um, Nafina as one of the tips for the championship. Uh, now they're gone and Vincent had put up a huge performance the last day. Led by uh, Dara Cummins uh, at centre-back, a Sligo guy who, who they have now at centre-back, driving forward, scored three points. And again, that great forward, Mossy Quinn. What a game he had and, and, and what a pass he gave Declan to set up a goal for, for Sean Lamb. Vincent's beginning to go nicely. Rahini the last day, very good in the second half. They're forwards who have a load of potential, really hit it on the day. Hopefully they'll have a few of those scores left for today because uh, they, they certainly need it. It's a lo- real local derby. The performance of Brian Fenton in the middle of the field, Sean McMahon in the defence will be important. And uh, I think Rohini will win the game if they can control Mossy and Dara Cummins at centre half back. Great so stuff. I'm I'm hoping my heart is saying uh, Rohini. Your heart is saying Rohini. I understand that. And yeah. Hopefully they will. <laughs> hopefully they will take it. But it will be a, there. I am again, Declan. It's going uh, to be another tight battle. OK. Listen, Brian, thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us on the programme there, the great uh, Brian Talty. Finally, Reg, just want to say the month of September, of course, was traditionally All-Ireland final month and there's a lot of anniversaries of All-Ireland victories being celebrated by various teams over the last uh, number of weeks. But one of the most poignant ones, of course, was 1983, um, Dublin beating Brian Talty's Galway, the Twelve Apostles and all that. And that was 40 years ago this month, can you believe it? Rain sodden Croke Park. I, the was la- I think it was the last time that it was a non-ticket event actually mm. um, but uh, a very poignant um, occasion because of course since we've lost the great Mick Holden Richie Crean the Blue Panther Anton O'Toole and Brian Mullins who believe it or not his first anniversary is next Saturday We turn our attention to football now and uh, delighted to be joined on the line by the one and only Alan Cawley Good morning Al how are you? I'm good, Reggie. How are you? Oh, never better, I have to say. Never better. A really exciting weekend ahead of us this weekend. Um, of course, the rugby later on, but an exciting day in the Aviva as well uh, as the Ireland women are taking on Northern Ireland in the UEFA Nations League. Um, a game that has kind of taken on a, a, a different perspective as well. Uh, a lot of pressure on these uh, Ireland women to perform and get a result today, I would say, especially after maybe some of the comments that come out during the week by Diane Caldwell um, so they really need to kind of put their money where their mouth is and get a, get a good result today Yeah and you would fancy them to as well Reggie because Northern Ireland wouldn't be the best uh, so it would be hot favourites to get the victory but as you say they keep pressure on themselves really because of the fallout from Vera and then some of the comments that were made during the week as well and all that goodwill that seemed to be kind of with them pre-World Cup um, there was certainly a negative reaction towards some of the comments that were made and Definitely the way Vera may have been treated as well. So, um, Also in terms of the way they were speaking about the style of play, that they want to play a different style of play, it appears. So we, I suppose we'll see in the next two or three hours just what, what that entails because you would like to think there'll be some sort of a tactical change or a, a change in the approach in terms of how they go about uh, the game because obviously they labelled Vera as being a very defensive coach, which he was, and they want to play a more attacking style of couple. So proof will be in the button in the next three or four hours. Yeah, absolutely. They need to uh, deliver. Uh, I suppose they probably didn't need to put as much pressure on themselves as they did. Um, but it kind of, it, it leans people 
maybe to, to feeling that even though there was talk that it wasn't player power, it really feels like it was now that got that decision across the line. Yeah, because even Jonathan Hill said in the press conference that they spoke to players as well. So if Diane Caldwell is prepared to come out and say what she said publicly, of course she said stuff like that privately as well. Mm. You know, and a lot more may have said it. And, and I know there was a lot of discontent. I just felt it was reading the room wrong. And, and it was, like you, you pick your fights and I suppose there was a time and place to maybe come out with, with stuff like that for Diane Caldwell. Like the decision was already made. Fear was gone. So if that's what the players wanted, that's what the players got. So why come out then and, and as you say, heap a lot more pressure on themselves? And and even some of the comments lacked a bit of respect, I felt as well, that they were doing it in spite of Vera. Like, whatever people think of Vera Powell, she was the manager that got them there and she deserves respect for that. Absolutely, yeah, I, I I agree. But anyway, look, we move on because uh, th- th- that's that's in the past, and I think uh, a good performance today is what they'll need, and and uh, a result more than anything else. And I think uh, these things are quickly forgotten when you get a decent result. So if we see a good open style of play, a fresh start, as some people are calling for, and a, a chance for the women to uh, show what they can do in the field, I think then maybe they can move on and uh, bring the uh, team to the place that they need to be. Um, okay, let's have a look at the. S- from last night then uh, interesting results uh, I suppose uh, the big one being uh, UCD failing to get a win to have any hope of, of of clinging on in there in that first division but we see Galway got the job done so one down one up yeah well it was it was written for a long time that this was going to happen um, it wasn't just decided last night really Reggie obviously UCD were getting beat every week the manager decided that he was going to leave the end of the season as well Andy Myler he's been there I think two or three seasons and did a really good job. So last night's result, I think, was more about Charmer Grover's not getting the victory because I was at the game in Sligo and Derry City, if they had to win, it would have been back to two points with Charmer Grover slipping up. But again, Derry City didn't get the job done. They got beat by Sligo Rovers. It was a massive result for Sligo Rovers and it should see them safe now because they obviously wanted the three points for their own reasons and they got those three points and... It was deserved on the second half performance, but Derry will be kicking themselves because another opportunity lost. And when we think of the amount of time Shamrock Rovers have slipped up really all season, but no one's been there to capitalise. And it's still the same story last night, as I say. Drew with UCD, but Derry got beat. I know Pats won, but Pats had already fallen back. Uh, and Shelburne really are the story at the moment, Reggie, because Damien Duff's doing a phenomenal job. Um, and if they were to win the game on Monday night, I think it moves them up to third or so they're doing a phenomenal um, second half of the season and, and who would bet against them now Bowes I suppose we're getting a lot of plaudits in the years but they, they've dropped down to fifth and Shelburne now are the ones that are really on an unbelievable form and putting themselves in a great position for those European players Absolutely and Declan you're with me here as well in the studio still uh, yeah Rovers uh, they, they make the slip but nobody seems to be able to capitalise on it on a regular basis as Alan was saying Yeah very, very much so the case and I was in Intercore last night and the Dundalk were really undone with two long balls over the top two fine finishes by uh, Tommy Lonergan and Mason Amelia on his 16th birthday then scoring the penalty to make it 3-1 at the end I think for a long time people were talking about Rovers and Derry it was between the two of them with Rovers being the favourites with their experience and all the rest of it from being in that position but I think now St. Patrick's Athletic have really crept into the mix here uh, after last night's victory and if they can get the victory over the other loud team Drada at home on Monday night they leapfrog Derry into second and if they can keep that pressure on with 
I think second last game of the season Rovers have to go to Richmond Park that would be a fantastic occasion so we have still a title race of sorts at the moment the advantage is still with, with Shamrock Rovers but Alan is perfectly right um They've slipped up so many times, but yet Derry and other teams behind them haven't been able to take full advantage of, of their, the slip-ups that they've made. Yeah, it feels that way, Alan, doesn't it? That they're, they're going to just um, get their way through the season, we'll say, for Shamrock Rovers. Maybe not be uh, outstanding, uh, but get their way through it. I mean, you look at the results, they've 11 draws uh, and four losses. So, you know, it's only 16 wins and still top of the league. You probably wouldn't have thought that that would be enough. No, definitely not, and it certainly wouldn't have been enough in previous years. And I suppose what we're judging on is the standards that they've reached in the last two or three seasons, and um, they've obviously been very, very good. This year hasn't been the case, but as we've said there, no team has been able to capitalise, and they just haven't hit those standards, but they're still able to keep the teams at arm's length. That's all Stephen Bradley will be worried about. And come the end of the season, they're still three, four points clear and lifting that title. We won't look back in 10 years' time and think, oh, that was the year we struggled. It'll be still a year when down on the record books is winning the league title, and that's all they want. But I think it's more a reflection of the other teams. And to be fair to the likes of St. Pat, they were never in the mix, really, to challenge this year. And when you think back, Tim Clancy lost the job in the early part of the year. So John Daly has done a phenomenal job just to get them in the position that they're in. But it's still very premature in terms of their development of a lot of young players. Derry were the ones really that we were hoping um, to put up the challenge. And I, I suppose they're the ones that deserve the criticism because they've had the chances more than anyone. Last week, obviously, they were 1-0 up against Shamrock Rovers. Didn't get the job done. Sligar Rovers last night fighting for their lives. Didn't get the job done, Derry. So, in fairness to the likes of Pats and Bowes, they're very much in their infancy and their development. They don't deserve criticism for not winning the league this year. They're looking for European places. But Derry are the ones that will look back and think, will we ever get a Shamrock Rovers team or a team to struggle as much that we're chasing down and not take advantage of it? Mm. I, I would say, Alan, myself, if you look at it, Derry had the opportunity for six points in the last two games. As you say, one up against Rovers at home last week, finished up getting only a point, beaten by Sligo um, last night. So they were hoping for six, they only get one. But I have to say, in fairness to Shamrock Rovers and fairness to Stephen Bradley as well, they do what champions do. They just plough on, keep going and... They, as I say, they do what champions do and four in a row is very much now on, on the cards for them. Yeah, 100% Declan, that's what they can do and even if they're not playing well as you say or they're not hitting the heights, it's hard to argue with the team that's top of the league mm. <laughs> no matter what they're doing, you know. Yeah. Um, and as I say, I think the story would be when we look back at the end of the season, obviously Shamrock Rovers will get the credit if they win the league but definitely the story will be about the teams that were chasing them down that that just never taking advantage of those slip-ups. Well, uh, we don't have a whole lot of time left, Declan, but I didn't get a chance to get, have a go at Ken this morning, so I'll do it in his absence. Uh, across the water, Man United sitting in 13th place, six points after five games. Pretty disastrous stuff at the moment. Yeah, it's an absolute mess, Reggie. It mm. really is. And just when we thought Ten Hag might be the one to come in and put a bit of shape and structure on the place, but from top to bottom in terms of the ownership, the off-the-field issues, the uncertainty around that, creeping onto the pitch, the manager not getting on with players, players not performing, like the list is endless. It really is. And when you think a Brighton team last week passed them off the park and it was only worth 16 million, that team, free transfers all over the place, journeymen players nearly, 
Um, and that's been harsh on them because they're very good players. But when you think of the money Ten Hag and Man United have spent, and there's no shape or structure to them whatsoever, the attitude is all wrong, the mentality is all wrong. It's an absolute shambles what's going on at the moment. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And uh, I don't know what can be done or how they can fix it, but uh, an, an awful lot of work needing to be done there um, to get themselves back on track and try and get themselves some semblance of a team together. But um, it's yeah, it's it's hard to watch at times. Uh, for, well, maybe not too hard for, for non-United <laughs> supporters, it has to be said. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Dublin Stock and Sport on Sunshine 106.8 from myself, Ken and Reggie. Have a good weekend. <laughs>